dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Amlatsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey there, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, how was your weekend? Oh, it was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the rodeo in Ashland. My husband was in the ranch bronc riding. How's he doing? All healed up from the previous boo-boos at the rodeo? <laughs> well, he hurt his tailbone this time around, so he's <laughs> a little sore. So, <laughs> Well, it's good that you got out and about. I saw that the, the boys got tired and decided to take a nap midway through. No, that was after the rodeo was over, and their dad likes to talk to everybody, and everybody likes to talk to him, so they weren't having it about... 12, 1230, they were done and ready to go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, folks, I don't know if you've heard the news, but there have been a lot of changes in activities, public events in Kansas and, and elsewhere. I guess let's start off with the big, the big one. Uh, Kansas State Fair, the fair board came back on Monday and re-decided to change its decision so they are not going to hold the fair um, this year in 2020. And instead, they will have just, uh, so far, they have just announced youth livestock shows. And they are, the Kansas State 4-H is still contemplating how to handle the inside exhibits, the photography, the crafts, all of those. Kayleen, you're a 4-H mom. You've got kids in, in the livestock program. What have you heard? What what's the what's the word on the ground? It sounds like there's a lot of them that are thankful that they're having it, and they have a place to go with their animals. And I saw one; she was upset because they weren't having the poultry show for the 4-Hers, and I know that's just as big of a deal for those kids that have poultry as opposed to the ones that have steers and pigs and goats. So, I mean, somebody's going to get left out. Somebody's going to get upset. But you have to realize that they're making the best choice that they have to make for the circumstance. So for those of you outside of the Kansas listening area, um, basically what happened is the vendors that typically go to to the Kansas State Fair came back to the fair board and said, we're not going to be able to make it. Uh, Whether they were relying on... on, um, volunteers and employees that are of retirement age and you know have the um are are more susceptible i guess to coronavirus uh you had some people that were just not willing to go out in public and and be vendors in public and and you you can understand that a fair that size relies on those monies that they bring in during the state fair to operate throughout the entire rest of the year we're already, I think they said we're almost $2 million in the hole um, 
because they didn't have so many events over the spring and early summer that would help them with operating expenses for the state fair in the fall. It's, it's just a matter of vendors. It's a matter of volunteers. Um, you know, we have prison, prison labor that actually cleans the state fair. They aren't going to have prisoners come and clean the, the fairgrounds. And so even those livestock exhibitors say, you know what, we will clean our own stalls. We'll take care of it. Uh, everybody's, everybody's just having to make some concessions. It is what it is. Yeah. If you, if you want to show bad enough, then you'll do what you have to do. You know, I saw a mom who typed in a, in a, in a comment section, if I have to wear a full size hazmat suit, so my son can show, I will, I will wear the hazmat suit, you know, yeah. you do what you got to do to get the job done. It is what it is. You know, I just announced a steer show on Friday at our little, our little uh, tri-county fair in Harrington, Kansas. It has been going on for close to 70 years now. And uh, it's, it's always a small show, but this year there, it was quite considerably smaller, Kayleen. And for the first time I announced a steer show entirely in a cloth mask. Did you wear some of your fancy ones that you ordered? <laughs> no, a friend of mine who was the, the beef superintendent, she made a special uh, K-State themed ones. Oh. So I wore a K-State themed mask, but I oh. have invested in themed masks. In fact, oh, I was, oh, here it is. It's going to show you and we'll have to take a picture of it for the audience. <laughs> but I'm not sure if, if you can see it, Kayleen but it's a mask with a handlebar mustache on it. <laughs> I call it my get along little COVID. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's not quite a pistol Pete mustache, but it's, it'll do. It'll do. It'll do. I actually got two. Would you like one? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, at the, at the fair though, um, you know, the, the three counties got together and they said, look, uh, the requirements are if you can't physically distance from each other, masks on, which meant masks on in the show ring. You know, you have, a ju and the judge was very much on board with it. He said, he, t he told the, the exhibitors, look, um, we know how to play by the rules. You know, there are rules to the game. This is a new rule to the game. And I appreciate you all playing by the rules out here. I'm wearing a mask. You're wearing a mask. It is what it is. And uh, it was, everybody showed off the trailers. There was no stalls or any, you know, nobody stalled any animals. Nothing was left over for public exhibition. You know, it is, it is what it is. So uh, you've got the county fair this week. How are the kids getting ready for that? Oh, we, well, they they moved to the livestock sale, a premium auction. They moved it online. And so you had to have photos in by today at noon. And so we took pictures last night of the goats and the pigs and that was kind of a challenge the goats the goats were easy but the pigs made me question any photography skills that I had they looked <laughs> fine they looked fine by me you got the yeah. like the side view of the pig I mean come on how those, hard could it be those were the best ones that we got so <laughs> there's about 40 other ones that didn't make the cut <laughs> I think so, I was a little overconfident because the goat ones turned out so good. <laughs> see, you got cocky. Never get yeah. cocky. You know this. <laughs> well, and we got the 
the photos mounted last night and we're gonna bake this afternoon or this evening so we'll see how that goes good so how are they doing the the online sale let's let's talk about that and how that's gonna work out for us well let me find my newsletter that they sent so can anybody sign up now and watch it online and and see it and bid yeah, they have a sale event. Winter Livestock is actually going to set up a sale event on CattleUSA.com. And you can log in on CattleUSA and find this the Ford County KS4H sale. And you can click on the submit button and you can set up an account, do whatever you need to do. And they say if you're participating online, you must create an account prior to 3 p.m. on Monday, which is when they're going to hold the sale on July 20th. Very cool. And they're going to take bids through the Cattle USA website as well as in person at Winter Livestock on that day. So I don't know how that's going to work. I I, I hear a lot of, of counties are going are doing online auctions, and you know what? I think maybe it's an opportunity that that we've overlooked for so many years. You know, it's great to have that in person auction. I don't know about you, but I always love the hamburger feed afterwards that thanks the buyers. You know. Yeah. It's a great way for kids to interact with the adults in the community who have, you know, vested interest in their, their upbringing. Um, but at the same time, there's alumni like me, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it to my county fair sale, never will be able to make it. Yeah. I can put a bid in from a distance. Yeah. And then they have what they call add-on bids, add-on money. And on the Ford County uh, 4-H the K-State website, there's a place for that too. If you want to punch in 10, 20, 50, whatever, and they can add it on. You have until August 1st to do that. If that's something that people are interested in. Well, Hey, that's good. Now what's that website again? The one for the add on money is ford.kstate.edu. And they'll have a link there for the add on money. If you want to donate to that. And then you can pay, you can even pay through Cattle USA for the invoices for the animals, or I think they have food and other stuff they sell from the, in the premium auction. So I, I'm guessing cool. that stuff's going to be on there too. Very cool. Hey folks, thank you so much for, uh, for all of what you do for, for County 4-H kids in your area. Even if you're not from Kansas, go and ask your local extension office, your local 4-H and FFA programs. What can we do for you? How can we spread the word to help out these kids? It's a non-traditional year. They're not going to have the typical experience. So let's let's figure out a way to make this experience the best we can, right? Right. And I know like my kids, this is how he pays for his animals for next year because if they don't sell good, then he may not get anything very good next year. His mom's not willing to shell out any money. unless he wants to work for it and that ain't going to happen you know that's that's how uh building a herd that's how being a herdsman works so well also on the front of things that are changing uh high plains journal recently made the decision to take cattle you from an in-person event to a completely digital one kayleen um as you can imagine this wasn't without a lot of discussion and a lot of, of thinking back and forth of how we could do it and still make a, an event that uh, could reach our audience, could help our exhibitors spread their word and, and bring thought leaders to our, our listeners. 
And so what we're going to do is we are going to uh, move Cattle U completely virtual. It'll all be online and it will be the week of September 7th. So instead of two days of, you know, really intense speakers, we are going to have four days of speakers, um, different slots, different time slots. You can watch live online or you can actually watch the recorded ones. Um, all the sessions will be recorded and posted at cattleu.net. And because of this, registration is now open and, and free. Uh, if you previously registered and, and paid, uh, you will be contacted as to whether you want to uh, roll that over into next for next year's event, which Kayleen, come heck or high water, it's going to be in person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we may have to invest in full hazmat suits, but it's going to be in person. <laughs> um, no, seriously, though, uh, if you previously registered and paid to attend, you will be contacted if you want to roll your registration fees over for 2021. Or if you would like a refund, uh, we will, we're going to work with folks on that. But uh, because we're going online and going virtual with it, uh, we're, we're going to open that that registration up and it'll be free. And Kayleen, I don't know about you, but I think this is actually a, an opportunity for people that don't normally get to go to events, actually get some of the learning. Um, you know, yeah. you and your husband are a prime example. How many times can he go to an event that's in the middle of the day? He, he works during not the day. Not very often. <laughs> yeah, not very often. So uh, you'll be able to watch from the comfort of your own home on your own schedule. You can rewatch the the presentations at your leisure. I think it's actually going to be a really good thing, Kayleen. Yeah, I so, think so too. Yeah. So watch for that information at cattleu.net and we will have we will post the revised schedules and all of that as soon as we get those taken care of. Kayleen, that's that's my job. <laughs> I think you're going to have your work cut out for you. Uh, we are nothing if not flexible. What's my, my motto is uh, learn, adapt, thrive, and survive. So here we go. <laughs> we're, we're learning and we're adapting, Kayleen. <laughs> yeah. So how are you folks doing out there? Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know or call us at 1-800-452-7171. Hey, do us a favor. Go on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Leave us a review. So in this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories that you might have missed in the July 13th print edition. We'll have a report from the field from our All Aboard Wheat Harvest correspondent, Brian Jones, and Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets, and we'll have those final thoughts. Alta Seeds brings you this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line July 8th in the first ever Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day, all online. Igrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the United States market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to catch up on the webinar recording at hpj.com slash sorghumfrontiers to learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. It's a hot one out there, Kayleen, still. Whoo doggy. Um, not right now. It's pretty nice out right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little humid. The end of the, yes, the end of the week is probably going to kill us. <laughs> well, hey, you're probably, you folks out there are probably getting ready for the fair and enjoying this hot weather just as much as we are. 
so grab a cool drink, turn up the, the AC or those super powered fans on the livestock and uh, ride with us here on HPJ Talk. cover story is by Kayleen. Pandemic emphasizes need for local fresh food. The rancher found a way to donate beef. The grocer found a way to keep his doors open during heavy demands. The farmer's market found a way to serve customers in a different manner, all during a pandemic. Colorado Proud hosted a virtual roundtable June 3rd, focusing on how agriculture can succeed in tough times. Colorado Proud, created by the Colorado Department of Agriculture in 1999, works to promote Colorado food and ag products. These products are labeled with the logo for ease of identification, and the program hopes to raise consumer awareness of the benefits of buying locally grown and raised manufactured products. The panelists included Kate Greensburg, Colorado Commissioner of Agriculture, Duke Phillips IV, COO of Ranchlands, Pete Marchick, founder of Marchick Fine Foods, and Rosalind May, executive director of the Colorado Farmers Market Association. So Kayleen, you listened in on this. Um, you know, Colorado is one of those places that's naturally made for a local and farmers market atmosphere because those folks like to, to buy local. Um, what did those, those panelists, what insights did they share? Well, each of them had their own specific aspect of what's affected them during the pandemic. Like the the rancher, he they rely on a side income of people coming and staying at the ranch for a week and learning how to be ranchers or cowboys or whatever they wanted to do. And they lost that source of income because people weren't going to come on the ranch. And the farmer's market gal, she said people are finding a way to have their farmer's market with guidance from health experts and all that stuff. And they're just, people are willing to do what they need to do to get the food that they want. And Pete Marzik, he said they tried at the beginning to keep the store open longer hours than they had had ever before. And it just did not work for them and their employees. And he said, they came down to a different schedule where they had certain hours that they stocked and certain hours that they were open. And he said, they never ran out of bread. They never ran out of meat. They never got stuck in those spots that some, some of the retailers did. And he said they have new customers come in that had never shopped with them before. So learn, adapt, thrive and survive. You yeah. know, <laughs> it, it just takes some creative thinking. And if you get stuck on what always happens, what was the usual way? If you get really, you know, focused on, I'm, I want it to be the way it was. I want it to be the way it was. You know what? You're not going to see the the creative problem solving in front of your face. That's just the way it is. So, and, and look at all the new opportunities now open to people that were essentially forced, you know, quote unquote forced to look at different ways of buying their food. You know, now that they've had a taste of locally grown, I wonder how many of them are going to go back to 
you know, supermarket. Who knows? Maybe there's going to be a subset that will just say, you know what? I know that I can buy local at a farmer's market and I like that opportunity. I like that experience. I'm going to stick with it. Who knows? Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some people that end up deciding that's better for them. Yeah. So uh, you also had a, a story inside from Dr. A.J. Tarpoff, right? Yeah, talking about the insect considerations for your livestock and your equines when it comes to uh, controlling disease. And uh, Dr. Tarpoff was part of the webinar that the Kansas Department of Ag and uh, the Butler County Extension Office had when they were talking about the vesicular stomatitis and how the external parasites, meaning when I hear parasites, I think of worms and those sort of things. And he's defining external parasites as flies and biting gnats and all those sorts of creatures. And um, he said that as a veterinarian, as a, as a livestock caretaker, he has to admit when he doesn't know something. And they don't understand exactly how sometimes that these external parasites play a role in the transmission of disease. And he had a broad view of all these insects, but when it came down to it, I could recognize each individual insect he was talking about, stable flies, horn flies, the, the uh, house flies, and he had neat little specific things about each species. And, you know, you see these bugs all the time and you, know, you don't think twice about them. And it's interesting that I can't remember which one it was, but there's one species, a fly that only stays on one animal and it doesn't that only bites that one animal and doesn't go anywhere else. It'll go lay its eggs and it'll come back to that animal. So kind of like so, a monarch butterfly on on uh, on uh, milkweed. Yeah. Who so, knew? And he gave some tips on how to control the the insects in in your environment and how to clean up after you know the feeding sites and which he had an interesting t- statistic that's in the story, but. If you don't clean up like where you fed a bale at over the winter, you can have like a million more flies in that in that environment the following really? life cycle. So Huh. You know what? Yeah, I didn't know that. I am always fascinated <laughs> by the knowledge that our experts pass along. <laughs> and AJ certainly is one that knows his bugs. <laughs> yeah, and he has a way of explaining stuff that it you can understand it right away. It's not something that's way above your head. Well, hey, on the opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier has his column. In the end, it begins with all of us to be responsible. A letter to the editor comes from Montana Senator John Tester and Chuck Grassley of Iowa with their letter, American farmers and ranchers are facing a grave crisis. We also have another letter to the editor from Kansas Senator Pat Roberts and Senator Kelly Leffler from Georgia helping rural America feed all of America. David Murray has a story inside. Bayer tries to chart future for Roundup Dicamba after tumultuous year. This is the first of a four-part story that Murray has that looks at the needs of growers when it comes to farm chemicals. Our field editor, Lacey Newland, has a story looking at the great debate of grazing systems. In an Oklahoma State University ranchers webinar, Paul Beck, Associate Professor of Animal Science at Oklahoma State, discussed the controversial concept of which is better, continuous grazing versus rotational grazing. He began by reciting a quote from the 1922 Yearbook of Agriculture. 
quote, the cheapest source of all feed is pasture because it furnishes a balanced ration at a low cost and the cow does her own harvesting. In comparatively few cases, it is the fullest possible use made of pasture, end quote. Lacey writes that both grazing systems have advantages and drawbacks, but a producer ultimately has to decide which positives outweigh the negatives. Lacey also had another story about one of our upcoming Cattle You and Trade Show speakers, Danette Amstein. Danette is the managing principal of Maidan Marketing, a full-service meat-centered marketing firm based in Mooresville, North Carolina. She's going to be one of our speakers at Cattle U, like I said, and she grew up on a row crop, feedlot, and cow-calf operation outside of Jetmore, Kansas, and graduated from Kansas State with an animal science degree with a focus on communications. She credits her agriculture upbringing with her strong and determined work ethic. It's going to be really interesting to hear from Danette. The Maiden Marketing is one of the marketing firms that is gathering information as the pandemic is going on about people's purchasing decisions. And that's going to be critical going forward as we market livestock, as we market um, the, the beef and, and poultry and, and other, you know, red meats and everything. Um, when we know those, those purchasing preferences, we can retool our system to meet those preferences. You know, I, I look back when you and I were kids, Walmart didn't really sell meat. <laughs> and now it does. Now it's one of the largest um, sellers of meat in the United States. So it'll be interesting to, to hear uh, Danette's stuff. And, and remember, folks, we are now transitioning to a digital or a virtual cattle U. And that'll be September, the week of September 7th. So if you want to catch Danette's uh, discussion and her talk, uh, check out cattleu.net. Read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. And of course, if you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. It's time for an update from the field with our All Aboard Wheat Harvest correspondence brought to you by Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Unreferth Manufacturing, AgriPro Seed, AgCo Gleaner, and BASF. Well, this is Jennifer Latsky, and I am with Brian Jones. And uh, Brian, you guys are now in South Dakota. Let's talk about moving from Mineola, Kansas to South Dakota. Um, how, how's the wheat been? Hey, Jennifer, it's good to talk to you again. We have um, ended up having kind of a different type of year, and it's come down to where, again, we've had some more weather challenges. We finished up in uh, Mineola, Kansas there, and we normally then move to our next stop, which is in Big Springs, Nebraska, which is in the west central part of the state. And that area had had some really tough weather conditions. They had some really serious winter freeze damage that really was difficult with the crop. And then it always seemed like it either was dry at the wrong time or too wet at the wrong time. And it has just led to a crop that's going to have a very low yield, but also it is really late in maturing. 
you know, the situation that we're up against is that it appears that for the South Dakota harvest and Nebraska harvest is going to about occur simultaneously. So we had to make some decisions, and in the end, we decided to bypass Nebraska this year, and we moved to Oneida, South Dakota, which is almost dead center in the middle of the state. And we are up here now, and we are getting ready to harvest here. Okay, so... Now, South Dakota is a little bit different terrain than Mineola, Kansas, because you guys have much larger fields, um, and you also have spring wheat that is going on at the same time as winter wheat. Let's let's explain to our listeners the difference between hard hard winter wheat and spring wheat. Yes, once we get into um, the South Dakota area, this is where we probably get into these two different varieties or types of, of wheat. So... Like um, wheat that's in Oklahoma or Kansas, for example, uh, winter wheat is planted right before wintertime comes. But when we get up this far north, we start to get a real change in climate, just in both temperatures and then also length of days of sunlight, as well as how winter arrives and then how as winter exits when you look at it on a calendar. So they're also up here, they have the opportunity to plant spring wheat. And just like it suggests, it's planted in the actual spring time. So how that works out for um, harvesting ends up, the winter wheat is right first, about the same time when the winter wheat is done being harvested, the spring wheat has ripened, and then we're ready to just transition right in from winter wheat to spring wheat. So we have, um, uh, this is why harvest here lasts a little bit longer as well. We don't just have, um, you know, this one type of wheat and, of course, it's not just the size of the fields, but it's also this variety difference that we have over between winter wheat and spring wheat that makes this kind of oftentimes we're here for a month approximately. And um, it looks like this year we're definitely going to be here that long, maybe for longer. Okay. So, folks, think about it this way. If you've got a garden that's planted and you have a couple of different types of tomatoes, they're not going to ripen at the same time on the vine. Now, are they? You may have an earlier tomato, you may have a later tomato, which but you still have tomatoes all coming on. And so um, that's kind of what Brian and, and the folks are, are facing up in North Dakota right now, or South Dakota right now. Now, Brian, um, let's talk about the, the size of those fields and the infrastructure that you have to deal with. There are different um, kind of road conditions up there because they have different roads that are are dirt roads and and a lot of rain makes those kind of tough to travel but then you also have a lot of um, storage challenges too for the wheat that comes off the field right it is we uh, we always feel like when we move into this this part of the uh, this part of the country when we get into central south dakota this is kind of harvesting on a, on the grandest scale possible it's just because of uh, the way that the terrain is laid out. There is a lot of prairie um, up here that is still where cattle graze, but then there's a lot of that cropland and it's interspersed. And for that reason, you don't always end up with just every field around you is in a crop. There's oftentimes perhaps a hay field or, or there's cattle grazing too. So it makes the operation end up being spread out. Farmers work over a larger area just because that's what it takes in order to find the acres that you need to harvest. It's also because the population here is relatively low and there, there really is just agriculture here in the countryside. It allows for fields to be significantly larger because there isn't always the need for a road to necessarily divide them or there's just not anyone that even lives in this area so they can kind of do whatever they want. 
So we definitely get into this time where there's many fields that are a square mile here. Um, some of them get larger. I have been in a field that ran for two and a half miles long. Some of those will exceed 1,500 acres at one time. So it is different than the, the type of fields that we get in Oklahoma and Kansas. And because of the size of those fields and the way that they sometimes work with the, the way the roads have been laid out, there's not always a straight line to get exactly where you want to go, especially the elevator. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we have to jog around and it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people are aware that the, that the winter was pretty, um, pretty severe here. And then they had a very, very, very wet spring and they had a very big difficulty getting things planted. Spring wheat this year, when they tried to plant it, was spread out in its seeding over a long period of time. There's some spring wheat here that actually is starting to lose color. It's, it's green color and it's starting to ripen. And there are other fields that we see that literally the heads are just being, or the kernels there are just being added onto the stalk, which means that, that that's probably three, four weeks away for harvesting, depending on the way that the weather is. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot that's uh, there's a lot that's uh, going on up here. And when they had such a problem with getting things seeded because of the wet weather, it also created a lot of problems with the roads. The road beds have become very saturated. There's a lot of ponding. That occurs here because the terrain um, is not flat. The prairie potholes, sometimes they're referred to, <laughs> are just these small swales or dips where it just seems like the water naturally runs and it tells. And there's like a little mini pond in the middle of the field that hasn't played well with the roads either. So we're finding that there's some roads that are so soft underneath that they probably are not going to be able to support truck traffic um, for harvesting. So it's also going to make us have to determine our routes to the elevator or to bring in sites may not be the most direct route, which obviously kind of slows down our productivity when the trucks don't get back where they uh, where they need to be. And when you're not taking these routes, you also find out you always get that challenge of bridges that are maybe not rated for the weights that truckloads are. So sometimes we just don't have to always consider the condition of the road. We have to make sure that there's not a bridge that we're unable to cross. So it gets a little convoluted sometimes <laughs> finding our route. And it generally takes a little extra time, mm-hmm. which obviously costs a little bit extra money to transport the grain, and it takes more time to do it. So it's a little bit different than in some other states here. But once everything gets really rolling here in these large fields, it really, really, really is um, a lot of productivity, a ton of bushels a day, just because you can kind of go hog wild up here. So let's talk about storage. Now, it's not just something to get it out of the field on those roads and those bridges, but we have to have the storage capability to to handle the wheat crop that's coming in. But you've also got a lot of folks that held on to their corn crops for a little bit longer, and they haven't marketed those yet from, from this last year. Uh, are we seeing some some storage constriction there up in South Dakota? Yeah, that's definitely something that is going to be a concern this year. Mm-hmm. You know, in South Dakota, you'll find there's a lot of different crops that are grown up here. You get wheat, and then you get soybeans, corn, sunflowers, millet, canola. So there's a lot of interesting storage issues, unlike some people that just only raise corn or maybe only raise corn and soybeans. Here, farmers have to have a lot more storage with the big dot to segment out which crop obviously is not being commingled with the other. And when it comes to marketing and delivery of that crop when you are sold too as well, that always makes things a little bit different because you have so many different crops to haul to so many different places and the demand is different at so many times. So what we really are up against now is, is this 
spring weather did definitely reduce the amount of deliveries off of the farm to end users because of road conditions and weather conditions concerns. So they're a little behind. They also, the low prices have just made a lot of farmers just hold on to the grain right now, still hoping that we're going to see an increase in price in the market. So a lot of the storage around here is full, more so than is typical. The wheat crop here is looking excellent. We really anticipate um, a lot of probably 60, 70, maybe it'll be more um, bushels per acre when we get into the winter wheat. And the cooler weather and some of the moisture that we've had means the spring wheat is also looking very, very good. So if the weather cooperates, we're going to have a really high-yielding spring crop here as well. So there is a lot of bushels to be uh, to be hauled around, and there's not a lot of storage to do that. So farmers really have two choices. Either you create a pile of grain on the ground, which is definitely not ideal because you end up with rain and, and all of a sudden you get damage, and it is not what you want to do. But the other really option is, too, is that in this area there is a large grain terminal located on a railroad. And uh, they have been, um, in previous years, when we've ran into this type of scenario, they have turned some of their corn storage that are in large outdoor bunkers that are even covered with big these tarps for uh, winter months. They've converted those corn storage into wheat storage. But what that ends up meaning is it's all of the trucks that you see in this area, like literally every single combine that's harvesting, is sending the grain to one location because it's the only location that's able to accept grain. And that leads to really long lines and sometimes long travel distances from the field. So we'll see how that's going to play out as well. But I have a feeling everything is kind of on a ripen all at once here. And it's going to mean the machines are all going to roll at one time. And there's going to be a lot of grain every day to go somewhere. And I think we're probably going to end up in that scenario where everyone is going to try to haul into just, you know, one or two of these grain terminal locations. And uh, that doesn't help us from a productivity standpoint either. But it's what we're up against here. And uh, if there's anything that's good about it, right, that the crop is good enough that they're having a difficult time storing all these. Sure, yeah. And no no one's definitely going to complain about that. So. We, it's always a, a cheerful thing when you can look out there and see that there's a good crop in the field. It, it kind of, it gives you a little bit of a breather. So, well, hey, it sounds like you guys are going to have your hands full in another uh, short period of time or so, but we hope to see you on Facebook Live. Uh, it, the last one I caught, you had some some friends come on from, from England uh, I, I I just get a kick out of all the folks that have been joining us on our Facebook Live Ask a Harvester series. Folks, those of you listening, if you haven't caught it already, head on over to the Facebook page for the All Aboard Weed Harvest. Sign up to uh, to get those notices of when our, our harvest crews go live. Um, Brian, tell your folks we said hey and uh, be safe out there. Okay, buddy? Definitely, we will, Jennifer. We really anticipate on being in the field here in just the next uh, few days, and then we really think harvest will last well over a month here. So we'll be busy. So the next time we get together again, you'll probably catch me uh, in the combine working away, and uh, we'll be able to tell you a little bit more about what we're finding and uh, how the situation all plays out here. But it's going to be a nice harvest, and we're excited to be here. And, and we've enjoyed this nice downtime or break, but we're definitely ready to get back in the seat and come what we came to do here, and that's harvest week. All righty. Well, hey, take care and we will see you on the road. And folks, remember, if you want to catch our All Aboard Harvest correspondence, remember you can catch them on uh, Facebook, 
We've got uh, updates over our Twitter account, and uh, you can catch them in the pages of High Plains Journal every week. We'll talk to you later, Brian. All right. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for that update. Remember, if you want to catch up with our All Aboard Wheat Harvest crews, visit their blog at www.allaboardharvest.com and look for their posts in the pages of High Plains Journal each week. All Aboard Wheat Harvest is brought to you by Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Unverfirth Manufacturing, AgriPro Seed, Agco Gleaner, and BASF, who remind you that we're all in this together. Your grain market prices from Dodge City's Product Resources on July 7th. Corn was up at $3.54. Wheat was up at $4.11. Milo was up at $3.54. And soybeans were up at $8.07. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our specialty crop issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes July 20th with a story from Lacey Newland. And look for additional content online anytime at hbj.com. Thanks to Alta Seeds for sponsoring this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line July 8th in the first ever Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to check out the event recording at hpj.com slash sorghumfrontiers to learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day